Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. new month, not quite a new year. Um, So good morning. Let's lead off with some good news. In fact, let's lead off with the good news. I, uh, I I don't know why it surprised me, but it surprised me a little bit that the gospel has a Wikipedia page. And so pretty much everything has a Wikipedia page. I mean, I don't. You might not. But lots of people and things and words have Wikipedia pages. So uh, the gospel has a Wikipedia page. Here's what the Wiki, Wikipedia page of for the gospel says. In Christianity, the gospel, Greek, euangelion, uh, Old English, God's spell, Latin, euangelium, e- ecclesiastical Latin, and then something I can't pronounce because it has a letter in it I wouldn't know how to transliterate. Or the good news is the news of the coming of the kingdom of God, and then it makes some biblical references. The message of good news is described as a narrative in the four canonical Gospels. The Gospel of good news is described uh, as theology in many of the New Testament letters. It relates to the saving acts of God due to the work of Jesus on the cross and Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which bring reconciliation, atonement between God and people. The Apostle uh, Paul's Gospel is of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection to restore people's relationship with God. It may also include the descent of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that it may also include. I find that kind of curious. Uh, That's not what the Wikipedia page says. That's me inserting that. Uh, It may also include, uh, picking up again here with Wikipedia, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon believers and the second coming of Jesus. Let me just go ahead and say that the gospel is much more comprehensive than this Wikipedia uh, entry allows for, but they are, they're not wrong. They're just not uh, fully accurate. He goes, the, the, the entry goes on to say, Paul gave the following summary, translated in English, of this good news gospel in the first epistle to the Corinthians, uh, uh, the first of his letters to Christians in the city of Corinth. And then it quotes 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he is buried, and that was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, and that's the NASB translation. goes on to say that the gospel is, uh, by some understandings, more comprehensive, actually contained in Genesis 3 as the proto-euangelion, or the, uh, or the proto-evangelion, uh, or the proto-gospel. Let me just go ahead and say, um, the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. It is God's redemptive plan for human history. It is made manifest uh, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it is our saving grace. So there you go. 
the gospel this morning. We're leading off with the good news. Uh, one little um, potentially good news coronavirus headline, uh, and that is that apparently some people may have, this is not a surprise to me, some people may have some uh, innate um, protections against the coronavirus because their immune systems are on the ready to fight off anything that, that the immune system doesn't recognize. So there you go. Uh, apparently we're finally discovering that blessed gift of the way our bodies uh, are designed by God to work. Next up, Dr. Zach Jenkins for our sort of weekly COVID checkup. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. It's good to have you back again. Oh, hey, Joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins. You can follow him on Twitter at FarmDHiker. Like farm, like not, not the farm where the animals live, but the pharmacy. Hey, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. I live on a farm. I don't live at a pharmacy. You sort of live at a pharmacy. So there you go. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, lots of stories out there related to COVID. Um, lots of people having lots of various uh, ideas. Some of those things go viral on social media. Some of them are particularly not helpful. How do you deal with all of that? Oh, that that's that's a great question and a bit of a tough question because we've been all over the place since this started. Um, we've had. Some some information that's been positive and then negative and it kind of goes back and forth and we don't really know what to think. So so from my standpoint, really I think uh, the first thing I need to do is just to kind of check what I know and what I don't know. Um, unfortunately, I think what happens in a lot of cases is we kind of run with our own bias, which influences how we view that data. We all have our own filter. So we have to kind of be careful about that. Um, but I'll tell you, as a Christian, I think the other thing I've got to be really careful about is trying to make sure that I live above reproach. Um, because at the moment that I start acting out the way that I've seen a lot of people do is the moment that I can kind of lose my ability to represent Christ to other people. Um, and I'll tell you, last week, I almost did that. <laughs> uh, you know, there there was some of that stuff going around on on social media about hydroxychloroquine and, and I have my, my professional opinion. I've read all the relevant studies. Um, and I, I think for the first time was just about a hair's breadth away from, from posting something. And then I stopped and I said, okay, who is this really serving? Is this really helping? And is this the right medium to have that conversation? Hmm. And I know for me, I'm like, after I really thought about that, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to be representing Christ very well in that capacity, even though I've got my opinion, I can throw all over the place. So I, I think that's the, that's the first thing that for me as, as a Christian healthcare professional, I have to be really careful about. I think that's, I think that's helpful for all of us, right? I mean, we, we all have uh, whatever platform we have on social media. There are people listening to us um, and we influence them. I mean, that's this is the nature of, of social media. And so having taking that pause to say, you know, is this the truth? Am I sure it's the truth? Because I'm a person of truth and I only want to be, you know, passing along to others things that are, uh, that are truthful. Um, is it, is it helpful? Like, is it beneficial? 
Um, is it fair? Is it, you know, is it is it advocating what is good and beautiful and true? And if not, I, I need to stop myself. I need to I need to stop right there and say, I am not putting this out there any further under my name, because ultimately that's a reflection on Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, he is ultimately good, beautiful and true. And I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to bring something negative to his name. I mean, that has to be my motivation on social media, not just in relationship to the coronavirus and things, but uh, but everything. I really appreciate that, Zach. I appreciate that view. Um, talk with us about um, uh, this, this, I don't know, back and forth. Um, but Anthony Fauci, who is this, you know, like, right, our top infectious disease guy right now. And then we have the assistant health secretary, Brett, who I last name don't know how to pronounce. And then the CDC director. We got people with big, fancy titles. Um, and they're not all in agreement all the time, um, and they uh, and they have been on the hot seat of late in front of a House subcommittee. Just bring us up to date on what's going on there. Well, I, I think you have to look at where a lot of those individuals come from. Um, you know, if you look at Dr. Fauci, I think he is a scientist first before he is anything else. Mm-hmm. And so everything in the way that he shares it comes from that standpoint. So, you know, one great example is the exchange over um, whether we should have any kind of public gatherings um, between Jim Jordan, who who's from my state, uh, who who's questioning about, about that and trying to get him to give, uh, I, I guess, I, I guess you might say a like very politically charged statement about it. And, and he's like, look, a crowd is bad. Make your own conclusions. That's, <laughs> kind of what his standpoint really was but that's that got that that like blew up you know it's gone all over social media and all sorts of things and and all he's trying to do is say here are the facts i don't want to give you an opinion what that means about how you should interpret the facts that that's kind of his standpoint some of the other individuals though they're they're more on the on the side of i will give you a little bit more of an opinion so they're all kind of coming at this from a different place and i think that kind of creates a little bit of confusion for our elected officials, but also for us. It's, it, I liken it unto the way that I have to uh, read and think very intentionally about anything that is posted in, in any sort of quote-unquote news outlet. Is it actual news? Is this a journalist reporting, you know, the what they have actually observed in an event? Is this news? Is it opinion? Or is it straight up commentary. I mean, like our analysis, I mean, like analysis is in there somewhere too. Is it news? Is it analysis? Is it straight up opinion and commentary? And I think that there is a little of that when we're listening to anybody who, I mean, even those who, you know, you and I would say, well, that's a scientist. And so all they're going to offer us is, is straight up facts. Well, it's sort of the facts as they're seen at the time, because science is a moving target when it comes to what we know and what we're learning about the coronavirus. So I mean, that's why you and I keep talking every week, because it is a moving target, and, um, and we, we need to have our eye on it, you know, where it is today. All right. You and I got to take a quick break. When we come back, um, let's talk about kids and what we think we know now uh, about kids and coronavirus. That's up next with Dr. Zach Jenkins. We'll be right back. Give me faith like All right, we're not in the lion's den nor the wilderness, but we are in a COVID-19 pandemic, and we're glad to be here with Dr. Zach Jenkins. You can find him at Cedarville University. You can also find him on Twitter at FarmDHiker. 
Um, best place you've hiked recently? Ooh, I, I think the most recently it was actually out in Colorado, but it's been a little while. <laughs> right. That's good. So we got to hold those. We have to hold those in our mind uh, because we do get to go back one day, just not right now. Um, all right. So kids and coronavirus. I'm reading a headline about younger kids, younger than five, uh, who um, may have as much virus in their nose and throat as infected adults. I don't even know what that means. So so what that really translates to, at least based on my understanding, is they're carriers of the virus. And it's no real different than adults in that sense. But it doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot of evidence that they transmit it at the same rate. Hmm. It's because so they're short, and I around. can't like they can sneeze <laughs> and talk, and it's way down underneath where I'm breathing. Is that but, a bad well, theory? There's, well, there's probably some truth there. I think I think there's also the element of um, you know we haven't really had kids around each other in large groups yet, so that that I think is going to be our real test to see you know how 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 much is it going to transmit transmit in that environment. Some of the early data out of Europe is suggesting probably not that much. Uh, but I think it's one of those things we still are a little bit away from making that conclusion. All right. And then I want to talk with you about this. Uh, this It's a small survey, but it's a survey nonetheless, um, that a lot of Americans are turning to what they're calling home remedies or, you know, hey, let's try this in an effort to avoid um, not only the emergency room related to other things, but then also, you know, how to sort of guard our guard ourselves against the coronavirus. So, you know. Taking taking vitamin D, maybe taking some zinc, but talk about the the avoidance of the ER by you know by doing things on our own. I thought this was kind of fascinating. Oh yeah, so you know when it comes to home remedies and over the counter remedies, we've actually been shifting that way for a long time. I think a big, big, big push for it is just the increasing cost of healthcare. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think regardless of what side of the fence someone sits on politically with where we should be, you know, aiming our healthcare dollars. And how that how our system should look, we can all acknowledge. I think that healthcare is expensive, yeah. um, and, and so really, it's a lot easier for people to to kind of take remedies in their own hands. So there's that element. The other element is uh, really they have the the power of choice, and Google is is a tool that's useful and it kind of points people certain directions, whether they're right or, or not. Sometimes. So you, you kind of give all those resources to people, and that's sort of the almost inevitable outcome you'll see. But in in the midst of this pandemic, I think people have been postulating there's all these different theories. I, I think uh, some of the things I've been seeing out there outside of kind of hydroxychloroquine being used as sort of a prescription part of it, people have also been suggesting you can't use that on its own. You have to use it with some of these homeopathic remedies as well. Hmm. So there's there's a lot of that going on. All right. And then um, coronavirus disguises itself to hide inside uh, our cells and replicate. Uh, this this is a little of a scary headline um, uh, from Newsweek. Yeah. So so basically what that really means is that uh, as we learn more about this virus, it's sneaking into our cells and it's it's basically evading our immune system. So that that's an element that we've seen in a lot of cases. What we don't know is how much that correlates with severity. Um, so is it is it able to sneak a little bit better in certain people's bodies than others into cells and kind of avoid those innate immunities or not? Um, so, so that's sort of the ultimate question right now. We, I'd say I don't know if we know enough about that to really make a firm conclusion just yet. 
All right. And we talk about innate immunities. You're talking about my T cells and what else? Your, your T cells, your, your B cells. Um, okay. If you've the, my B cells. Antibodies. I, I need to know about my B cells, I think. We haven't <laughs> talked about B cells. B cells so I think because aren't those like my good guys? Like they're they're like the cops. Um, so, so they actually are, are basically like your cops. They're really good about uh, making antibodies. So, so basically, once you've been exposed to something, your body makes an antibody to that different uh, bug. This is going to be a thing that actually is going to secrete those antibodies in the long term. The B, the B cell is going to do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, the B cell like carries. Does he? Does the B cell like take the antibody to the bad cell, and then the antibody does the work? So the B cell basically just produces them. Oh, all right, all right. So I um, how 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 do you count my B cells? So or you can. Does actually, everybody have the same number? Uh, you know there there is some variability there. Um, they can actually do a white blood cell test mm. with a differential, and that's actually where they'll be able to break down different kinds of white blood cells that you have. So my white blood cells are my good. I mean, those are good guys too. Like, right? I gotta have a lot of white blood cells, and I want so B T cells. cells uh-huh. T cells and B cells are both types of white blood cells. So this was like science. We're trying to go back to school, right? I'm trying to get ready for back to school, <laughs> and you are so helping me. Okay, so Dr. Zach Jenkins, thank you as always for joining us. Um, I'm going to root for my B cells today and my T cells, and we all want everybody producing antibodies, not only against the coronavirus, but against all the other nasty stuff out there. Yes? Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. We'll be right back. Paul, do you know where Red Wing, Minnesota is? Uh, roughly, yeah. Have you ever been there? No. Do you think that there's any chance that anybody can hear us right now in Red Wing, Minnesota? Uh, trying to think. Well, I, they'd have to be listening streaming online. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. Or via yeah, the app. I, that, that'd be true. Okay, yeah. so wherever you're listening from right now, and you know, if you know somebody in Red Wing, could you like send them a text message or just call them up and say, hey, Carmen's about to talk about your town. Glowing reviews of Red Wing. First of all, I am familiar with the Red Wing boot or, you know, like, right? But I have been studying a little bit about Red Wing, Minnesota, in anticipation of my conversation with our next guest, who happens to be from Red Wing, Minnesota. His name is Dr. Tom Blee, and we are going to talk about the Life Team Alliance. We're going we're gonna to talk about the healing that we need that goes beyond what, like, a trauma surgeon can do. Uh, Tom Blee is uniquely qualified to talk about this topic. So if you know somebody in Red Wing, give them a shout out right now and say, hey, hey, your town's about to be up on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, along with Susie Larson and a bunch of other really fantastic members of the faculty, um, I had the opportunity to participate in the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. And you may say to yourself, oh, I missed that, and I really would have enjoyed that. Well, if you missed the 2020 Northwestern Christian Writers Conference and wish you could, like, review all the conference videos, that is now possible. So you can um, you can go and participate in what's called the Extended Online Access Pass, and you can gain access to all of the conference videos uh, until the end of August. Super affordable. Um, you can not only access the keynote messages, which, by the way, uh, um, Alicia Britt Sholey did an amazing job. It's 
that's just a great, a great piece. But also video recordings of the pro advice panels, all of the breakout sessions, everything Susie said during the entire conference, like it's absolutely worth it. So go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com and participate in the extended online access pass. We'll be right back. I've always thought that parents need to spend less time trying to control their teens and more time helping them develop responsibility and maturity. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I've watched dads spend years trying to gain control of their teens and end up losing it anyway. In the process, they also lose their relationship with their kids. And I've seen moms so fearful that their kids might do something wrong that they develop an unhealthy attachment and they're unwilling to detach. In order for children to become healthy adults, they'll have to become independent from mom and dad. And parents have the power to build an environment where that's possible. So mom, dad, exercise your skill of letting go. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Tom Blee, you could find him in the hallways of the Regions Medical Center in St. Paul, Minnesota, or you could find him at Life Team Alliance. That is lifeteamalliance.org. Dr. Blee, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I teed this up by um, by telling people we were going to talk a little bit about Red Wing. So I've never been there. Make the uh, make the case for Red Wing, Minnesota. <laughs> so much pressure in the morning. Probably okay, that hotel, miles. just that hotel is so Safety. beautiful. It's a hotel. So we're 50 miles south of St. Paul, and it's a hotel I've never stayed at or, <gasps> or, or I've been in the lobby. Um, you know, it's a small historic town, about 16,000 people on the Mississippi River. Probably has a history in agriculture, logging, uh, and, and whatnot for transportation. But uh, I, I'm a guy, I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota, under the under the shadow of the Mayo Clinic and as a physician never wanted to work there. And I'm probably more farmer than I am surgeon And Red Wing was the balance for me, a small town, small town atmosphere, um, but access to the, to the bigger cities when you needed to get away. So the St. James, not, I at, yeah. And that's, but that's not where you stayed. Like that would have been a nice safe place to stay, but you didn't stay there. Right, right. So my first practice of 12 years in general surgery was in this town, and it was a, it was a great place to have my two boys grow up. Um, but there was a point where it was mostly I wanted to teach. I wanted to do something different. And so I moved my practice up to the cities to St. Paul, a bigger metro area. All right. Talk with us um, about your sister and the role that she plays in this narrative, because I want to talk about Life Team Alliance and I want to talk about the work that you're doing, but there's a story behind the story that needs to be told. Right. So, and the story probably goes back to Rochester, Minnesota, growing up, there's three of us, older sister, younger brother, growing up in a house of alcoholism. Um, my, my father it was a small business owner. He always said he was male clinic support staff because he owned a bar. So we, we grew up, for the most part, uh, in a bar, but we grew up um, in a house of chaos, and all of us survived in different ways. And when we 
grew up and, and got older and tried to get out of this muck and swamp that we grew up in, she came out first and really had a walk of faith that for probably years I watched but never grasped onto. So she became pivotal when my life collapsed uh, around me in, in about 2013, 2014. So as you feel comfortable, um, tell us that story. Yeah, it was, you know, <clears throat> for me, uh, I grew up in Roman as Roman Catholic, and church was every week. Um, but but it, it just it, the 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 Catholicism back there was a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and I think a lot of us know it, and I think a lot of it's different. Okay, so I'm going to say that. But when you're struggling and growing up, especially in alcoholism, and you go to church every weekend and Christ is on the cross, he, he never came down. He never came to help. I'm like, well, if you're hanging on that cross, what chance do I have to even have a life? And I, I survived being in my room reading, learning, studying, and so on, and kind of went into myself and got into medicine because it was a career where I thought people couldn't touch me. People couldn't argue with me. It was... It was cerebral enough and probably above enough that conversations couldn't happen, but it kept me busy enough that I didn't have to deal with what was happening in the family life. And that's not a way you can live. And bring that into a marriage with a, with a person who doesn't have much of a skill set either to be married, and eventually things just collapsed. The marriage didn't work, and unfortunately it ended uh, <clears throat> with a—and this is in my book, and I keep this as respectful as I can, but it ended with a person who didn't want to be married and ultimately falsified a domestic violence against me to get me out of the house. So all of it culminates in about 36 hours with me sitting in jail trying to figure out, uh, you know, a year prior I had asked Christ in my life and things were going well by faith, but here I am trying to figure out Christ, trying to save a marriage that couldn't be saved, and sitting in jail— uh, completely confused with what's happening in my life. And this was just six years ago, five years ago. And God has done um, has done a work since then. And there have been some people involved in that work um, with whom you now uh, continue to labor alongside uh, to, to really bring hope and healing to others. So talk about the, the redemptive narrative. Right. And the redemptive narrative starts with listening and people being brought in my life. One was my sister, as you mentioned, who had faith, who could say, Tom, this is what this is what's going to happen to change. But the second was a was a counselor and who's now my dearest friend brought into my life in John Turnipseed. And he's been on this show, not your show, First but of the all, radio name. my favorite name out there. Turnipseed. Yeah, yeah, you, like how yep. how great is that? OK, go ahead. You don't forget it. Very unique. Yeah. But he's not, he's not at all like me. He was the worst gangbanger in the history of Minnesota. He uh, started a family gang in Minnesota that in the mid-90s gave Minnesota the label of Murderapolis. Um, his family had to be broken up by the mini, mini, uh, Minnesota National Guard. He, um, he has 300 family members in jail, 30 for murder that may never get out. And I heard him on this network telling his story uh, after, uh, this was before my events that, uh, we got to know each other, but I called him and just said, listen, I'm in an impossible situation at the hospital. I have this darkness and this evil is what it is. And I can't even deal with, with the, these lost souls. We, we spend time and money and effort in the whole institution to pull these kids out of the fire, to keep them alive. 
but we can't bring him into the light. And, and he just said, let's meet for lunch. And, and here is John as an African-American man about 10 years older than me with the street credibility wow. who said, let's build this program. And uh, what we didn't know, and John was in a different part of his life, is that the two of us were put together to rebuild our own lives. And uh, that's why we chose Life Team. We need, we need something for life. I have two teams at the hospital for end of life in hospice and palliative care. We need a team for hope. We need a team for life. And that's uh, how John, John and I started it. I am talking with uh, Dr. Tom Blee. He is also the author of How to Save a Surgeon, Stories of Impossible Healing. Um, we are talking uh, today about Life Team Alliance, which you can find at lifeteamalliance.org. When we come back from a very brief break, um, I'm going to ask Tom to talk a little bit about the ministry, just recognizing that um, even when he is putting somebody back together, uh, extracting a bullet or, you know, or sewing, sewing up uh, a, a traumatic injury, there is more healing that needs to be done. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Tom Blee. We're talking about Life Team Alliance. You can find it at lifeteamalliance.org. Um, Dr. Blee, uh, you know, you you started to to talk about what people need beyond just the physical um the physical things that you as a trauma surgeon can do. Um and it and it reaches not only to their experience in the hospital and what needs to happen there, um, but into the home and what needs to happen there. Talk, talk with us about this comprehensive reality of healing um, and what you guys are doing at Life Team Alliance to, to meet those needs. Sure. So some of it, you, you know, when you're radically changed by Christ is, and uh, eyes are opened, um, the first thing was for me was recognizing what was happening in these rooms that I walked into because there's a, there's a common theme. After a gunshot wound, the, 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 you know, the, sh- the windows are dark, the sh- bed sheets are pulled up around the nose, the patient's not talking. It's just an awful dark. You can feel it when you walk into the room. And uh, for many years, I just could walk into that room and walk out. But something was, t- and, and God was just saying, no, you can't do this anymore. You, you're not done. You, you can't just fix the bullet wound and do this and that and the other thing. That's fixing, and you need to bring me in to help um, heal and so what changed was, okay, how do we start? It's just hope. How do we even institute one flicker of hope to say, we've gotten you to this point, and uh, how do we bring you to the finish line? And what I recognized, you know, when I was sitting in jail and got out of jail and sitting in a courtroom trying to figure out what my life was going to be, how I felt was how they looked. Mm-hmm. And there was a reason I was brought that low, and there was a reason people came into my life, and it was almost God saying, you know what, bring this team into that hospital. They feel the same way. Don't label it. Gangs don't mean anything, and pain is pain, John always told me. And when you have that much pain, you have to have bigger help than, than, than we can provide, and Tom be the conduit to bring the help in. I don't have to talk about Christ. I don't have to talk about God. I don't have to throw the Bible at people. I have to show them what people showed me. And that's when we started to say, how do we bring the Alliance in? And the Alliance is only a few small people. We have a lot of organizations in the metro area, St. Paul, Minneapolis, that we have ties with, but the Alliance starts with the relationship of 
anyone this patient will listen to. It may be me. It may be one of my nurses. It may be John coming in, who's a minister. We can bring him in. There's a couple other people I bring in. The question is, who is this person going to grab onto for hope that lets us, when they leave the hospital, bring a relationship to them and then start to settle the house down, settle down the job situation, get them back to school, get them to, to that path of healing? So as you're as you're sharing that, I'm remembering a story that I read. It's been a couple of months ago now. Um, you know, a, a man suffering from the coronavirus. He was in the hospital. I'm pretty sure this was in Florida. Um, and obviously nobody from his family could go see him. You know, he was completely isolated, uh, not a believer. And um, the the entire article is about the te- the witness, the daily witness of the woman who came into his room to clean. Yep. Yep. And and she she was bearing out the gospel. She was willing to come into his presence, even though, right, he was contagious and he was suffering. Um, and she was she spoke to that. She 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 lingered. She kept coming back. She brought resources to bear on the situation. Um, and he credits her with saving his life. Now, his physical life was saved by doctors and good, you know, probably a really good good, uh, you know, way of improving his lungs, but she saved his life in the ways that he credits as mattering. And I think that's what you're talking about. And it can, and it can come in the presence of anyone that the patient will listen to. Exactly. I know exactly the story you're talking about. And that's, that's the situations that we are trying to grasp that are being set up for us. Um, it's you just you have to keep coming back. And, and for me, so many of these young men will say to me uh, with time, I'll start working and I'll say, why did you finally say yes? It, it probably takes me five, six, seven times just to talk and to get to get a little confidence. You have to just keep coming back like that woman did. You just keep showing up consistency. Then people can recognize that there's something different. And I always tell my residents and people that when I'm called to a room, there's the patient needs a surgeon and a savior. Okay, I'm only one of those. I'm just the surgeon, but I can be a conduit to the Savior in a way of trying to do something different. Then people will ask, and these young men will ask, well, why are you different? Why do you do this, Dr. Tom? Why do you come take me out to lunch? Or why do you guys just keep showing up? You know, doctors don't do this. They don't come to my neighborhood. Um, and why do you do this? And for me, it's just because, well, someone did it for me, and I have faith, this faith in Christ. And this is what Jesus shows me then the conversation starts it's in the spirit of the great physician that you go to their neighborhood right I mean, you know, jesus jesus literally came into the neighborhood and he's the great physician and after uh, after him you uh you are going to others to extend the grace and mercy that you have in turn also received i think that the the leveling um how, how can i describe this you you are providing a leveling of of what people perceive as a very hierarchical social system in America. And you are leveling that by acknowledging your own need for a savior, the the the, the times and places when you have been um in in jail in need of uh, in need of real restorative help and hope. Um and you're sharing you you have this shared humility because you've been there. Everyone has been there. We just don't all acknowledge it. Right. And I think I, I, you're, I, you know, nail on the head with that one, because even for me, the, 
the the faith can be knocked out of the out of the surgeon and the training in the medical school. So part of my mission is even to change some of that in the residents and med students that I work with. It's like, listen, listen, guys and and young women and men, uh, these patients aren't any different than us. You may not have hit that bottom yet, but you will, um, and they have. And uh, for me and for many of us to knock that humility back in or that other stuff out, it takes direct intervention from Christ. Um, the, he leveled the playing field, like you're saying, and I had to recognize it and use it. And it's become one of my most powerful tools just to say, sit down and talk. You're not that big of a deal, Tom, you know, there's stuff going on in the hospital, but it's all going to get taken care of. Sit down and spend time with this person that was brought in front of you. This is where the, where the real part of the medicine needs to, to happen. You know, and I, and I do, I pray for those events every day. I pray when I'm on my shifts to say, who, who is it, God? Um, and the reality is, is engaging in the situations gives me as much on my path in healing as it gives the person I'm working with. What you're bearing witness to, um, is, is the spirit that is operating within you. And that is governing the way that you see time and the way that you see people and the way that you see, um, the resources available, um, the, the point of God drawing these two two lives um, into an intersection with each other, and I don't want people to miss that. Um, there is a there is a spirit of peace about you that seems to recognize that there's enough time for me to sit and for me to return over and over and over again, um, for me to go out of what I perceive to be my way in in order to. You know, go find again, over and over and over again, the one that that with whom I have this divine appointment that God has set. Um, that is a spirit. That is the spirit of God, and it's so contrary to the spirit of the world um, that we so often encounter. Yeah, and it's sometimes you miss that. You know, it's exactly what you're saying. There's days I struggle and I can't figure out why I'm so off and I can't do it, but it. It's what's interrupted that that communication or connection that you, that I need or that we all need. What what spirit are we chasing after? And and it it takes time. And in, in all of our faith walks, it takes time to sit down and just say, "I need that spirit that you're talking about, God. Don't let me fall back into the world." Because it's very easy. We all know in our lives, and especially in a trauma center, it's very easily to fall into the next gunshot wound, the next stabbing, the next patient, the next billing cycle, whatever it is. And, and, you know, there's a message right there for everyone that's listening, man, to sit down and just take that time and say, I'm just sputtering here, you know, bring that, and it is peace, bring that peace back. Then I know, and we know we're on the right track. Thank you so much um, for who you are, for how you're living, for what you do every day, for the Life Team Alliance and sharing it with us. We're going to invite people to visit lifeteamalliance.org to get more information Um, And I'm betting that you are open to talking with people who want to join the Alliance, who are in a position to reach out to others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you, Carmen, for the time. I very much appreciate it. That's Dr. Tom Blee. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be right back. So I read a a headline that um, I want to take a minute to unpack. Uh, Here's the headline. It's in the Washington Post today. The headline is coronavirus threat rises across U.S. Quote, we just have to assume the monster is everywhere. 
Um, okay. The monster is everywhere, but the monster isn't the coronavirus. So the coronavirus is, you know, a a current uh, manifestation of the reality of our fallenness and the imperfection in which we live since uh, since that auspicious day in the Garden of Eden. But this is a really good headline. Assume the monster is everywhere. Um, this is a really good headline if we're talking about sin and the temptation to sin and our proclivity to sin and our total depravity and the reality that the monster of sin touches every part of our lives and we cannot escape it ourselves. So um, use this headline today, the headline from the Washington Post, that the monster is everywhere. Assume the monster is everywhere. And reflect on the truth of that when it comes to the reality of sin in our own lives and in the world that God so loves. Assume the monster is everywhere. Um, And that would we would have a heightened awareness. We would be looking and alert. Remember all the times and places in Scripture when God calls us to wake up or be awake or watch out or look or stand guard or be on our guard or be ready, on and on and on and on. That is because, my friends, the monster is everywhere. All right? Crouching at the door, prowling around, looking for a way into our lives, on and on and on. All right, so... Just thought that I would lift this up today because it is an opportunity to take a headline of the day, bring the gospel to bear, and bring God back into the conversation, which is our role and responsibility as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.